Father, we do lift you high this morning. We thank you that you are the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. There is none other that is worthy to be lifted high. Jesus Christ, would you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, God, fill us now. Fill us to listen. Fill us to humility. Fill us to response. God, I pray right now you would see your house that is ready to come under your word, that is ready to say, here I am, speak to me, Lord. Here I am, change me. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. For there is none like you. God, show us your greatness again today. Show us the awesome power of the gospel to save and to redeem a life today. And may that not cause us to just stay in our seats, but with urgency go out and lead others to you, sharing with others the greatest news of all time. May it be so, Lord. Start in our own hearts today. Start in our own hearts today. Humble us now, right? In your presence. Say what you want to say. Guard my mouth from error and have your way. In Jesus' name, church, if you agree, say amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, it is good to be in the house of the Lord again, church. We praise the Lord for that great privilege. Let's open up our Bibles to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verses 35 to 42. If you do not have a Bible, our ushers are coming forward right now. Just stick your hand up and we want to put one in front of you so you can continue to follow along in God's Word here today. And if you do not have a copy of God's Word at home, please take that Bible as a free gift just so you can continue to study God's Word on your own time at home. You're going to see why that's so vital in just a little bit. John chapter 1, verses 35 to 42. And so the last three weeks has been kind of a mini-series within our series of the Gospel of John. We've been looking at the ministry and life of John the Baptist. John the Baptist specifically regarding the testimony that he was sent by God to give about the person and work of Jesus Christ. Okay, and now we're starting to transition out of John the Baptist as Jesus Christ starts to take center stage in the rest of this gospel. But here's what we have to understand as John, as the forerunner, the one who was sent by God to prepare people to meet the Messiah, we must understand some of his ministry in this statement. Here it is, you'll see it on the screen. God sent John into the world to tell us or to witness about who Jesus Christ was and that we need to make a life-defining decision about him. Bless you. Life-defining decision about him. Okay, and so John's testimony, the first part we looked at three weeks ago, was a testimony of preparation. And he started out with this, prepare the way of the Lord. And he exhibited radical urgency in his witness, but also radical humility. Balance that. So beautiful. The one of whom coming after me, the one whose sandal I'm not even worthy to untie. What a beautiful statement. So there was the testimony of preparation. And then last week we looked at the second part of John's testimony, which was one of revelation. Revelation. So he's called the people to repent through preparation, but now he's calling them to a revelation. And he says, Behold the Lamb of God, revealing the person and work of Jesus Christ. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And now today, the preparation, the revelation, is all leading to his final statements about Jesus Christ. And today's all about how John's testimony is confirmed. It talks about a confirmation. It's all about how John's testimony is now confirmed. And it answers the question that so many people in John's day, but also not just in John's day, in our day today here in the 21st century are asking, and it is this, how can I know that this is true? How can I know that John's testimony is true? That the testimony of the word of God is true? How can I know? That Jesus is truly the Son of God. How can I know that? 
How can I know that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? There's a lot of saviors out there, aren't there? A lot of ways to God. How can I know that Jesus is the only Lamb of God and the only Savior? All these things John declares. How can I know that I need to prepare to meet the Savior because he's coming soon? How can I know that's true? How do I know that I must make a life-defining decision about whether to receive Jesus Christ or to reject him? How do I know that's true? That that decision is in front of me today. See, here's the issue. We live in a world that has been deceived into believing that truth can be whatever you make it. That the truth is relative. That's a lie. The truth is not relative. And this truth that we are being deceived on, truth can be whatever you make it, including the truth about the person and work of Jesus Christ. Well, you believe what you want to believe. Does this sound familiar? You believe what you want to believe. I'll believe what I believe. What's true for me is true for me, and what's true for you can be true for you. You get your Jesus, you go get your little God time, but it's not for me. My truth is over here. How do we know that this testimony that God has given us is true? And you see, yet the question of the heart, God always goes back to the heart, the question of the heart that is underlying that whole mindset of you believe what you believe, I'll believe what I believe, truth is whatever you make it. Here's the question that underlines the whole mindset. It's driving it. How can I know that what I believe is true? How can I know that this is true? Because if that question's answered, there's no, well, you believe what you believe and I'll believe what I believe. Say, no, here's the reality. Here is the truth. And here in this text, we see two defining steps of confirmation that we must take if we are to know, loved ones, if we are to know the life-changing truth of Jesus Christ in our lives and see others come to know the truth also. Two defining steps that you and I must take. And to honor the authority of God's word, let's stand and read chapters 35, or verses 35 to 42. Two defining steps of confirmation. Jesus calls the first disciples. Verse 35. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. Notice the exclamation. There he goes. That never dies. Love it. Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? There's the question for us today. What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We found the Messiah. We found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John? You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. And all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. What we see here first in this text is that the truth of Jesus Christ will be confirmed as you seek Christ and follow him. The truth of Jesus Christ will be confirmed as you seek Christ, as you truly seek Christ and follow him. And the key question that sets up this section is this. Jesus says, come and see. Question is this, am I seeking him? Am I Seeking him. Look at verses 35 to 37. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Now remember our context. Remember our context. It's around AD 26, 27. A few months after Jesus' baptism. 
And John has just declared back in verse 29, as we alluded to earlier, that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And if you're wondering what that entails, just go onto our Facebook page, go onto our website, download the slide of what that means. It's so beautiful the way that was broken down. Thankful for clarity. And so now this is the next day, as we see in verse 35. It says the next day. So the day after that. Now recall, John's giving his testimony to three different groups of people over three different days. So the first group of people, if you remember, was the religious leaders, the priests and the Levites. The second day was to another group of religious leaders. And now today, here he is giving the testimony to his own disciples, to John's own disciples. And now, what's that word disciple mean in verse 35? Who is that? Next day, John, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. Disciple is this. The Greek word means this. Pupil or someone who learns the truth of Scripture. So you're learning, you're being taught, and is trained in the lifestyle to live out the truth. So you're being trained in the truth of Scripture in both belief and practice. This is what it practically looks like as it's applied to your life. And so this is the group of men that John is training. Now, we don't know how many disciples John had. Okay, but we do know they were men who followed John and were trained by him. And we do know here from the text that when he's standing with them, this beautiful moment happens right here. Again, we see his humility. Did you catch it? He says this. He declares the truth right in front of him. He says, behold the Lamb of God. It's like he gets his disciples' attention. Turn your head. Behold the Lamb of God. Look at this. There he is. Follow him. Behold him. Get your attention. Fix it on him. Take heed, behold means. The perfect Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who would be sacrificed to take away the sin of the world. Now, now remember this. Why is it so important? Because all of John's ministry, his entire ministry, was directed towards preparing people for Jesus' arrival as their Messiah. And therefore, he tells his disciples, get your attention off me, get it onto the Savior. He must increase, I must decrease. He said, behold the Lamb of God. Why are you still with me? Why are you still listening to me? Follow him. What a beautiful act of humility. Is that not, is that a beautiful humility? Got me thinking about the church today. Are we a church that is just like, let's just gather as many people as we can and kind of hold our own? Or are we one with a kingdom mentality that says, go, follow the Lord's lead on your life. Be sent out. Go to the, declare the beautiful gospel to all nations. Are we a church that would do that? How about parents? Are we willing to let our children follow the Lord's call for their life and say, behold the Lamb of God, not behold what mom and dad want? Think about the magnitude of the humility in that statement. John could have just held on his own, do the crap, but he's like, don't look at me. Don't stay with me. Behold the Lamb. He's the guy you need to follow. Love it, love it, love it. So in response, the two disciples hear him say this, and they leave. They get up to leave to follow Jesus. This didn't show unfaithfulness to John. This showed faithfulness to everything he was teaching. Follow the Lamb of God. Isn't that beautiful? Now, I love how one commentator, Tremper Longman III, put it this way. He said this, Now that, you'll see it on the screen, Now that this coming one had appeared, everything John was, was teaching, it was appropriate for the disciples to break their ties with John and follow Christ. It was appropriate that they do this. That was being faithful to the teaching. I have good sense the Baptist would have been very upset if they just stuck around and said, I want to stay in the comfort zone. And this right here, this right here, this moment, this is the turning point for the rest of the gospel. This is where John the Baptist starts to fade to the background and Jesus starts to take center stage. Question, are you fading to the background? Who's the center of your life? Behold the Lamb of God, behold myself. Who's the sinner? See, verse 38 and 39 go on to say this. It's beautiful humility. Here's what happens as they follow. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? The very first words of the Savior in this entire gospel. And he says, What are you seeking? 
And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. See, after a while, he sees Andrew, and we don't know for certainty the other disciple who was following, but we believe it's the evangelist, John himself, the apostle, as we see by the details, the eyewitness accounts in this text. But after a while, they're following Jesus, and Jesus finally turns around, and he asks them, and he says, what are you seeking? The word seeking there is so important, as if Jesus wouldn't choose words that weren't important. So important, it means this, to earnestly or deliberately search to get to the bottom of something. What are you seeking? What are you earnestly or diligently seeking to get to the bottom of? See, and they ask him this. So he confronts them with a question, and they they respond in kind of an awkward way. They say this, they ask him, they're like, hey, Rabbi, uh, where are you staying? That means, where are you living? Like, don't you think they would have asked, like, okay, we really need to know. Are you the Lamb of God, truly, that John was pointing to? Are you who you say you are? And they say, yo, where's your crib? Where's your house? Kind of awkward. Why would they ask that when they could have asked anything? He says, where are you living? And he tells them this. Notice his statement there, the second red words. Come and you will see. Love the promise. Come and you will see. And they stay with him and question him the rest of the day. It was already 4 p.m. Now, most commentators believe that it was the reason they stayed the rest of the day was because it was the night before the Sabbath and you couldn't travel distances. So they stayed with Jesus at Jesus' house. Rocking. Imagine that evening conversation, right? They stayed with him and this was the start of their intimate relationship as future apostles with the Savior. Beautiful. So why would they ask the question, though, um, where are you staying? Here's the thing we have to realize. They were not merely curious about where he would spend the night. They're like, yeah, let's see the Savior's pad, man. If he's like the king, he's got to be like loaded, right? He's not asking that. Here's what they're asking about. They were hoping for an invitation They were hoping for an invitation to go home with them so they could have a lengthy conversation about the number of questions that had been on their hearts since hearing John the Baptist proclaim that the coming one, the Savior, was here. They're like, we need to get our questions answered. And this is why we don't, loved ones, when people come to you with questions, you don't have to try and think about or shy away from those or be afraid of them. Scripture proves itself. All right, the truth of God's word will prove true. We don't have to be afraid of questions. Love it. Don't be afraid. What do I say? What do I say? Let God speak. He'll take care of business. See, the question here wasn't ultimately about his house, but it was about their hearts. Is it true? Is he the Messiah? It's not about his house. It's about their hearts. Earnestly desiring to know the truth. Does yours today? Does mine? You see, and Jesus was not interested in just giving them directions, but in getting their devotion. Notice, notice, Jesus doesn't say, where they say, where are you staying? He goes, yeah, okay, just um, keep going a mile down Passover Avenue, and then take a left on Pita Drive, and then once you hit Hummus Circle, it's the third house on the left. That was a joke, loved ones. There you go. See, here's the reality. He's not like, hey, 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 you just follow this. You know, you go into the store. You go into the store. I was in Lowe's the other day. And I was like, hey, can I, can I get some help? Oh, yeah, it's like the sixth aisle down. And you're looking. It just looks like this maze. Just down there and then make a left. There's a big difference when someone says, come and I'll take you. Here's Jesus. Jesus doesn't just give them the directions. He wants their devotion. And he says, come and see. What's he saying there? Follow me. Follow me. You see this? I love it. And he still says this today. Jesus invites all to earnestly seek him. Jesus invites all to earnestly seek him. Come with your doubts. 
Come with your questions. Come with your experiences. Come with your beliefs that you had so entrenched in you before. Come to him. He's not intimidated by this. He's not intimidated by what you think you know. He's not. He says, come and see. You want to know the truth? You want to know the truth that will set you free? Earnestly desire to come and see and I'll show you it. I will show you it. Notice this. He doesn't say, come and it's possible you might see. Earnestly desire to see me and maybe I'll show up and prove myself to you. He says, come and you will see. See, loved ones, the question is never, will I see the truth of God, the truth of Jesus Christ? The question is, do I truly want to see it? Do I truly want to see it? Or am I coming with my ideas of Jesus and trying to fit them? When I come into a Sunday morning sermon, am I sitting out here, well, I'll try to fit them into my little box and do all this. Really? Really? Are you earnestly desiring to know the truth? He says, come and see. Come and see. I'm not intimidated by that. He still says this. You say, how do you know that? I tried to do a reference on how many times the Lord says, seek me. I got to like over 100. I just got lost. Let's just say it's a lot. There you go. Good scholarly term. Let's look at a few. Proverbs 8.17 on the screen. Those who, here it is again, diligently seek me will find me. See that? There it is. There's the promise. Those who diligently seek me will find me. The word diligently is key. It's not like a little half-hearted. Maybe I'll get my Jesus on the side. Maybe if Jesus does it my way. (laughs) He's like, if you diligently want to know the truth about me, you will find me. I will make sure of it. Or how about this one? Isaiah 55, 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. Now that while he may be found is very key. He's giving you an opportunity right now to seek him. One day, you won't have to seek him. He's going to be right in front of you. And at that point, it's too late. He says, seek him while he may be found by you right now. Seek him diligently, earnestly. Look at Jeremiah 29, 13. Promise again. You will seek me and find me. Here it is. When you seek me with half your heart on your terms. No, with your whole heart earnestly, desirously. You want to know the truth? Seek him with your whole heart. Or how about this one? This, this verse right here underscores most of the, almost all of the Christian life, pretty much everything. Amos 5, 6. Seek the Lord and live. Seek the Lord and live. There's the Christian life summed up. Seek the Lord and live because that's where life is found. Matthew 6.33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. See, there's Jesus again. I dare you to come and seek me because I'm going to prove myself true. Here, Luke 11, 9, 10. Jesus says this, and I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Oh, here it is. Seek and you will. Here it is again, promise. You will find you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. And look at this. For the one who seeks, by the way, same word. What are you seeking? And now here again, same Greek word. Everyone who seeks diligently, everyone who seeks earnestly, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be open. See, here's the truth. The question never is, can I know Jesus is who he says he is? Can I know the truth of this? The question is, am I willing to earnestly seek him to find out that he is who he says he is? That's the question. That's what everything turns on. Do you want to know the truth? Then if you earnestly seek him, you will find it. I wonder how many of us right now want to actually know the truth. Or if we're just looking to solidify our viewpoints. The way we want things who we want Jesus to be. I wonder. It's so easy to fall into that. That's where our flesh leads us. Jesus says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free if you earnestly want it. Come and see. So how about you? Question of Jesus right here. What are you seeking? What are you seeking? 
If you're here, and you're like, I don't believe in this Jesus guy, and what's all this? Listen, here, I want to speak to you for one moment. Maybe you grew up in a church. Maybe you grew up hearing about Jesus. Maybe you grew up and you knew all the memory verse and everything, but you actually don't know the truth of him as the Lamb of God and your need for him as a Savior. Hey, let me ask you a question, loved one, if that's you. Do you truly want to know the truth because Christ's call to you today is a very unintimidated come and see? And it starts with this simple prayer, loved one. It starts with this. If it's genuine, pray it. Lord, open my eyes to see the truth. Open my eyes to see the truth that you, Jesus Christ, are the Son of God. You are God Himself, who became fully God and fully, who became fully man, as fully God, coming to earth, living a perfect life for 33 years, dying on a cross, paying the penalty for my sin, absorbing the wrath of God over that I deserved over you. And then you died and rose again three days later, and now you are reigning and the only Savior. Show me, open my eyes to see that truth, and I guarantee you, if you mean it, he will. Every time. And maybe you're here and you're like, yeah, I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe, I've confessed with my mouth and have believed in my heart that he's Lord. Let me ask you this. What things are you seeking that have taken first place over him? It's like, what are you seeking? What are you seeking today, loved one? How about this? See, Jesus is still saying, what are you seeking that you think you'll find in those things that could ever satisfy you? The comfort that you're seeking, what do you think you'll find in that that could ever satisfy you? Getting a spouse, having kids, what do you think you're gonna find in that that could ever satisfy you? How about this? Grades, students, you got exams coming up soon. What do you think you could ever find in your grades that could satisfy you? Money. How much money do you think could satisfy you? Jobs. What job status? How high on the corporate ladder do you have to move to be satisfied? What do you think you could get? by seeking it in that. How about this? Control. Your agenda, your time, your way of doing things. What do you think you can get that will be lasting satisfaction for you in that? See, the truth is this, loved ones. These things, they're okay in and of themselves. Getting a job, wanting, yeah, they're okay in and of themselves. But listen, if we seek them first above Christ, they will not lead to greater clarity about Christ, but to greater confusion about what he's done on our behalf. Set your mind on things above and not on things of man. And the clarity and truth of Jesus Christ will come clear. And you say, well, how do I seek him? How do I do this? If God's so adamant and saying, seek me earnestly, seek me earnestly, how do I do this? Here, here's four things. Boom, consume his word. Consume his word. I've packaged them all nice, starting with C, as any little good pastor would do. Here you go. Starts with C. Consume his word. Consume his word in, in humility, saying, God, open my eyes. I'm not just doing my time with you during the day to kind of check this box here. Consume his word to say, open my eyes to see the truth. Holy Spirit, help me. Help me to know what is true. And he will answer, Yes. Yes, and you're wondering, like, where do I start? This is like a really big book. Where do I start with this? God Time 101 books at the Connections Desk. Go get them. I looked at today. They're stacked. Go get them. Just get your foot in the door. Start small and work your way up, but start seeking him, consuming his word, not rushing through it, meditating upon it. Even if it's one verse for the day, God can do more in one verse than you and I can in a lifetime because it's living and active. Consume his word, here it is, call to him in prayer. Call to him in prayer. How do we seek the Lord? Here's our prayer. Lord, help me to seek you with my whole heart. Help me to seek you first and follow you. Help me to seek you first. These other things I'm seeking, Lord, help me to seek you. And God, yes, he will respond. Consume his word, call to him in prayer. Here it is, commit to faithful community. 
Commit to faithful community. What do we mean by that? I love the community of faith here. We're seeing, I love visiting our small groups now. We visited another one this past Thursday. It was so beautiful to see people, men and women, praying for each other, going to war for each other, calling on the name of the Lord. So beautiful. Exhorting, encouraging one another. Commit to the faithful community that surround yourself with people who are going to encourage you to seek the Lord and not seek the wisdom of man, not seek the next thing of the world, but are going to seek the Lord who are going to give you counsel when you have questions, godly counsel from his word, those who are going to offer you correction when you and I need to be corrected, and we do. Those who are going to offer you instruction by the power of the Holy Spirit. Consume his word, call to him prayer, commit to faithful community. And not just, like, too many people looking around, it's like, well, kind of get into church, I'll put one foot in and then one foot out, and I'll just kind of leave the option open to leave if things don't go the way I want. I'll just leave over here. Commit to faithful community. If that is this church here, praise the Lord. If it's another church that's upholding the faithfulness of God's word and declaring gospel, praise the Lord. But commit to faithful community. This is how we seek the Lord together in the body of Christ. One of the greatest gifts God has given to his church is the ability for us to fight together. No question. Commit to faithful community. Not in and out. In, 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 in. Lastly is this. Continual obedience. Jesus says this. Follow me. Continual obedience. Here's the thing though. You say, but it's so hard. I struggle all the time. Hey, listen. Just like the disciples right here. Jesus just didn't give them a little path and say, there's where I need you to go. Jesus is like, I'm going with you. Is that not awesome? He's like, I'm just not going to tell you to get there and leave you on your own to find the way. I'm going with you. Come with me, follow me, and you will see. Why? Behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen? He promises to go. So when we stumble and when, and when we sin, he's like, come on, son. Come on, daughter. Let's go. Let's go. I know. I saw that. But if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Now let's go. Let's go. Follow me. I'm not going to send you and not go with you. See, here's the truth. You'll see it on the screen. Christ will always be found by those who truly seek him. That's the underlying truth. Section one. Christ will always be found by those who truly seek him. The question is, do you actually truly want to know him? That's where the rubber meets the road. See, the truth about Jesus Christ will be confirmed as you seek him and follow him. Not just pay lip service. But from the overflow of seeking Christ, the truth about Christ is confirmed as you share Christ and lead others to him. Final point for today. And the key question is this. We must ask ourselves, Christ sees what I cannot. Am I leading others to him? Jesus Christ sees what you and I cannot. Am I leading others to him? Look at verses 40 to 42. It goes on to say this. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We found the Messiah. Look at the confirmation. You earnestly seek God? That's what's going to happen. Spending genuine time abiding with Christ. We found the Messiah. There's no question, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. See, at the start of the next day, this is verse 40, because they spent the night, remember I said, they spent the night with Christ. At the start of the next day, John identifies one of the two disciples, Andrew. Who's Andrew? He's a fisherman in Galilee. He was Simon Peter's brother, who, and Andrew became an apostle. But we only hear him, Andrew mentioned about three more times. He's kind of not the main scene on the apostle scene, right? Peter takes over. Peter's the leader of the apostles, But Andrew was one as well. And then verse 41, after encountering Jesus and discovering his true identity, notice the first thing Andrew does when he realizes the greatest news of all time, that the Messiah was there. What's the first thing he does? He goes and finds his brother. He becomes the missionary. Of course you do. You've just been rocked by the greatest truth of all time, the one you've been waiting hundreds of years for. Of course you've got to go tell about it. 
And who does he go to first? He's not like, okay, I'll go on a big mission trip over the world. He says, I'm going back home and I'm telling my brother and I'm getting him in front of Jesus because he's going to get rocked too. Awesome. Awesome. So right. So good. First thing he does is find his brother Simon and declare to him that he's found the Messiah. Now the word found there, this isn't just like, hey, Peter. Yeah, so I spent the night at this guy's house and he's the Messiah. Cool. The word found there means this, to joyously discover after diligently searching. So he's like, bust open the door, rip Peter out of bed, and say, Peter, you got to come and meet the Messiah. We found him. Let's go. He's dragging him before him. Peter's like, huh? Really? Really? He's like, come on. Come on. You spend time with Jesus, abiding with him. Watch what happens. We've been expecting him. And then, and then the Messiah, by the way, Messiah term there means God's anointed one to fulfill his plan of salvation, the very one that was predicted all throughout the Old Testament. And in verse 42, Andrew then brings or leads Simon to Jesus, and Jesus, notice what it says there? And Jesus looked at him. Now, now, well, careful. It wasn't like this. Hey, so, Jesus, here's, here's my brother Simon. Jesus is like, what's up, Simon? And goes back, does his thing. That's not what we're talking about. When it says Jesus looked at him, it means this. He gazed intently in a sustained way. So Andrew brings his brother Peter. He says, here's my brother. And Jesus looks at him. The eyes of the Savior penetrating, looking into his heart. Picture that. Gazes intently, and he says this. He tells Simon, he says, so, um, you're Simon the son of John, huh? Is that who you think you're going to be the rest of your life? You think this is as good as it gets for you? I don't think so. From now on, you are going to be called Cephas, which means Peter. Cephas is the Aramaic, Peter is the Greek, and both of them mean rock. Let's get some clarity. What's happening here in this moment? Jesus is declaring his intention to transform Simon Peter, the fisherman, the uneducated common man, He's declaring his intention of transforming him from that into a rock through which Christ will build his church through. Christ is the foundation. He's going to use Peter as a living stone. And now as 1 Peter says, we are living stones. If we are in Jesus Christ, he's building his church through. And he's going to transform Peter to fulfill that calling. See, here's what's so incredible about this moment. Peter, in this moment right now when he meets Jesus, he's nothing like a rock at this point. He doesn't even resemble a rock. What's Peter like? We'll get more to Peter later on in the weeks to come. But look, at he's emotionally unstable, okay? He's impulsive. He's filled with fear. He doesn't have the skills. He's never preached before in his life. He's never done anything that God is calling him to do. His moods travel by way of roller coaster. Up, down, 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 up, now, up, down, up, down. There's Peter right now. And yet Jesus lets Simon know he will be transformed into a rock. And this is what Jesus does to every true disciple. This is what he does. Because here's the truth, loved ones. You'll see it on the screen. Write this down. Commit it to memory. Jesus always sees us in terms of what we can become, not just what we are at the moment. Jesus always sees us. He looks into the heart and says, this is what I am calling you to, and this is what I'm committed to transforming you to be to fulfill the calling. 
This is it. I'm not just looking at you where you are right now. I know the plan I have for you. I know the calling I have for your life. And I am utterly committed to transforming you into what I am calling you to be. And not just you, but those he's calling you to lead to him. You and I might look at someone and say, that person could never come to know the Lord. They're too hard. If they were a little more open to the gospel, then I'd share it. You know, that person doesn't fit the quote-unquote mold of a Christian. I don't think I'll share it. What if they're hostile to me? They, but they're a different culture. They're a different language for the most part. They don't really... Uh, Jesus looks past all that. He looks at that, but then he also looks us in who he's calling and creating us to be. We get this so backwards. We often think, loved ones, we have to arrive at being who Jesus is calling us to be before we step into the calling he's calling us to. It doesn't work like that. God doesn't work like that. God's like, you step in and follow me faithfully and I'm gonna transform you in the process to be who I'm calling you to be. Fulfill the call. There it is. This is what he's doing with Peter. Peter's nothing like a rock here. Because here's the truth. Christ sees what you and I cannot. But God, I can't step into that opportunity. I don't have any skill. I don't have that. I don't have the knowledge. I don't, I don't have the experience. I don't have the education. I don't have this. He goes, but you have me. I, I'm okay. I'm sufficient for you in this. The question is, will you trust me? Well, that person can never come to know the Lord. I see what you cannot. Your job is to lead them to me. Let me take care of business. See, Christ sees what you and I cannot question. Are you leading others to him? Are you? Your neighbors, coworkers, who is it? Who is it? That spouse. Maybe some of you here and you're like, my spouse and I just can't get along. There's no hope in changing. We so often get hopeless. Christ couldn't do anything in this situation. That's not up for you to decide, loved one. You let Christ handle that. Your job is to share him with them and lead them to him. Whether it's through that spouse, those, those kids, you're like, I have prodigal children, they're running away, what do I do? They don't even want to come to church. Your job is to lead them to him and let Christ handle the heart. Okay? What about my coworker? They're so hostile. My classmate, they're, my neighbors, who you think is too hard or too angry or too stubborn or too hostile or too complacent or too apathetic, too fearful for God to save them and change them. Listen, there is no one who is beyond the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Amen? And our call is to share him with them and lead them to him. You say, well, how do we do that? Here, just a couple things real quick. Are you leading them through sharing your testimony about God's work in your life? Sharing God's word with them. Say, hey, bought you a Bible. Christmas is coming up. Here you go. It's not your job to think, well, they'll probably just reject it. Stop. Your job is just to lead them to him. Here's a good step. How about this? Praying for them. You can lead others to Jesus without them even knowing they're being led to Jesus. You start praying for God to go after their heart. Diligently, earnestly. Lead them to Jesus. How about this? Sacrificial love or service to them. Even in the face of hostility. Even in the face of being burned and hurt. Just a simple act of sacrificial love. Doesn't have to be anything extravagant. even when everything inside your mind, even when all external evidence is that they will never change, things are too far gone, things are hopeless. Loved ones, it's not for us to decide. So who is that person for you? I just want you to take a moment, write that down. Who's that person? That as I'm talking right now, Holy Spirit's just doing this. Come on. Who's that person? Write them down. It could be a family member, it could be a neighbor, it could be a coworker, it could be someone in this church. Who is it? Write them down. And commit them to prayer this week and watch what God does. And you must also ask this though. We must also ask, not just am I leading others to him, am I letting others lead me to him? Get that? We're really good at saying, yeah, you need Jesus, man. You need Jesus, I'm taking you. But we are in desperate need for the Savior too. Am I allowing others to lead me to him? How do we do that? By humbling myself under teaching of God's word. 
not leaving here saying, well, that was a good message for so-and-so. How about, oh man, I got to do some business with the Lord today. Or how about this? Getting counsel from brothers and sisters and actually taking it and not being pridefully rejectful of it. Humbling ourselves. Man, that takes humility. Seeing an area of sin in your life and a brother or sister lovingly comes along and says, I see this going on. What are you going to do in that moment? Are you going to allow them to lead you to Jesus? Or are you going back to yourself? Am I allowing others to lead me to him? How about this? Stepping into opportunities God calls me to. Instead of retreating because I'm afraid God won't make me into who he's calling me to be in it. Stepping into the opportunity God's put before you. Don't worry, I look into your heart. You don't see how you're going to do this, but I know how I'm going to do it in you if you just trust me and keep walking. What's your next step, loved ones? What is it? Maybe repent of unbelief, and let's get back on the train. See, the truth about Jesus Christ will be confirmed as you seek him and follow him. And it will be confirmed, I guarantee it, as you share him with others and lead them to him. And you say, well, that's easy for you to say, Pastor. You don't know my situation. You don't know how far gone I am. I don't know every situation in this room, but I would like to introduce you to my friend, John Kelly, who is now the senior pastor of Chicago West Bible Church and who I and Natalie, my wife, had the privilege of meeting and doing life with at the training center for church planting in Chicago Him and his wife, Danielle, have become very precious to us. You think God can't save? You think someone's too far gone? Watch this. Majority of my life growing up is my mother, um, my little sister and I. Just as a single parent, you can imagine my mother wasn't around a lot. She worked like two, three jobs, went to school. She tried her best to like give my sister and I an opportunity. I was always in the streets. By the time I turned 12 years old, I was selling crack in crack houses, really getting into a lot of trouble. I went, to, I went to three different high schools in my freshman year. I got kicked out of the first high school I went to for selling drugs, and they sent me to a disciplinary school. And it, it got to the point where um, the guys around, we started robbing drug dealers. One night, that, that, that situation turned fatal. When I was with a group of friends, we robbed the home of a, a drug dealer in the neighborhood in which one of my friends um, shot and killed him, and we all ended up getting arrested. And so I was 19 years old, um, headed to prison. It was a Christian guard who worked the block, and I asked him for something to read. And looking back, I don't know, I don't know what he was doing, but he said, well, I don't have anything to read. I don't have anything that you can read. The only thing we have is Bibles. <laughs> I can give you a Bible. He came back for like an hour later. He knocked on my door, opened the slot, and he gave me this this little blue Bible. I remember looking at it, and I was like, all right, I'm just going to sit down and read this Bible. And I sat on the bed, and I read from Matthew chapter 1, and I read all the way through to Hebrews for like hours. I just read straight, slowly. I meditated on what I was reading and reflecting on it because I had so much time. And by the time I got to Hebrews, I was so broken. Um, It was just like my eyes was open. I, I don't know how to describe it. And I just saw all the sins and the wickedness of it. And I really saw how disgusting I was. I just started praying. I was like, you know, Jesus, like, if you're real, like, you... I got into a lot of trouble in my life, and you delivered me from it, and you don't have to deliver me from this one. I just want to ask you just to forgive me of all this mess that I got myself into and all these sins. I thought about everything I did and how he protected me. I just wanted him to just be there for me because I had no one. I prayed, I must have prayed what they call the sinner's prayer like a million times for like the next two months because I had no one. I didn't, no one, I didn't have anyone preach to me. It wasn't like someone came and preached a sermon or... It was me and the living God one-on-one. All I had was my Bible, and I must have read it like 80 times during a year and a half. Never saw a TV, never saw anything outside of that block and that cell for about 18 months. And then I finally got sentenced, and I went in front of the judge, and I went in front of um, the victim's family, and 
I just turned to them and I said, I know it sounds, you know, you hear it all the time, but I follow Christ now. And if I could switch places with your son, I so would. And and in a split second, I would. And I'm really grieved for everything. And whatever you want to do to me, you can do to me. And I accept it. It was there in that church that I met my wife, the woman who would be my wife. We both were serving in the youth ministry as youth workers. I actually ended up sharing my story with her because she asked me. I was like, man, she's really going to just shut down on me now. Nobody's going to want to, you know, take a chance with a guy that just came out of prison like a year ago for what I was in there for. But no condemnation and um, just a ton of encouragement and love. And by God's grace, he gave me a, a sweet woman. And also, I had a little swag, too. I had a little bit of swagger, so <laughs> I probably got her, too. We arrived in Chicago um, a year and a half ago with no jobs and about, like, $700 in the bank. And I was just like, Lord, I trust you. You want me to be here. You got to take care of it. I'm just going to speak and do whatever you want me to do and serve and whatever. And God worked it all out. So now I work part-time um, at Moody Bible Institute in the facilities department. And then I also work part-time on staff at the cathedral downtown with campus pastor um, Brian Beeman, which has been like a real blessing for me to just, you know, I never thought in a million years I'd be on staff here. And then sometimes I sit here and I'm in worship on Sunday and I'm just like in awe of like, how did I get here? You know, you just look around and it's just like, wow. I think that the big thing that I want people to see in my story is the greatness of God. I think it's so easy to look on the news or look at people and not have any mercy and to see no hope and to see that God is still, he doesn't work like that. Like he is different. He is totally set apart. He's holy. He has his children all over and he goes after them. He pursues them. And so my hopes and prayer um, here would be that people will see that from my story and, and have hope, can look to Christ and say, you know what, if he can, if he can save John, he can do that in anyone's life. He can do that for my cousin. He can do that for my uncle. He can do that for anyone. And as we look around the city of Chicago and look in some hopeless situations, some hopeless neighborhoods, we can have hope and say, you know what, Maybe there are some Saul's out there. Maybe there are some Paul's out there. Maybe there are some John's out there that God wants to reach. Father, we thank you that we don't have to guess whether the truth of Jesus Christ is real. Father, I thank you that you say you will prove true. And I pray you'd see a church right now who earnestly desires to seek you I pray you'd stir up great faith in us right now and those people you've brought to mind that they are not too far gone for you and that you are desiring us to share you with them and lead them to you and you will take care of the heart. Father, may it be so. May there be a great harvest, God, in the days to come. Have your way in Jesus' name. Amen.